0: Welcome to Trauma Talks, the official podcast of the International Society for Traumatic Stress Studies. We're your hosts, Dr. Ann Wagner and Dr. Melissa Zlinski. Each month, we'll be bringing you interesting insights, fascinating research, and compelling stories from our members of ISTSS. We are here to illuminate the different facets of trauma and how people can heal from these experiences. This
1: month, we're glad to be joined by Dr. Sasha McBain, a psychologist at the Center for Trauma, Prevention, Recovery, and Innovation at the University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences. Dr. McBain will be sharing with us about medical trauma. Medical trauma is a highly relevant experience in the middle of COVID, and we're very excited to have Sasha be able to join us in sharing about her experiences, her work, and how we can understand medical trauma. So thank you so much for being with us today, Dr. McBain. Um, we would love to just have you start off and tell us a little bit about yourself uh, and your experiences and background.
2: Sure, thank you so much for having me. I'm Again, like you said, with the relevance of everything that's going on with COVID, this feels uh, very timely, so I'm glad that I could be part of this. Um, so I am a clinical psychologist by training. Uh, most of my clinical work has been in integrated healthcare settings, mostly inpatient medical settings. Um, and my, my research is really focused on implementation science and how do we implement mental health screening and brief intervention in these integrated settings to provide early intervention or secondary prevention for things like medical trauma and PTSD and depression and things that result from ex- the experience of medical trauma.
1: Okay, so before we get started, um, Sasha, will you tell us what medical trauma is exactly?
2: So medical trauma is an emotional or physical response to pain, injury, serious illness, medical procedures, or a frightening treatment experience.
0: Great. And Sasha, what really interests you about medical trauma?
2: To kind of take it way back, um, the first experience that i had with this um, in a professional capacity was when i was in undergrad i worked at a cancer institute and i was on a research study that was looking at barriers to accessing colorectal cancer screening in rural populations Mm. and we know that colorectal cancer is one of the most um, preventable types of cancer And so I, my job was pretty much to just talk to people on the phone all day and do interviews and ask them why they weren't accessing this preventative care that we knew could be really helpful. And we were looking at high risk families, people who had had generations of colorectal cancer. Mm. And I was just really struck by hearing about people's experiences, either their own experiences in the medical system or their family member who had experienced cancer and just all of the the really difficult traumatic experiences that came as a result of treatment and trying to maintain or preserve or return to health. And so that was my first intro to medical trauma and thinking about how this system that's designed to help us can have such a negative psychological impact. And so then when I entered into my graduate training and my clinical psychology training Um, I had the wonderful mentorship of Dr. Matt Cordova and Dr. Joe Ruzek at Palo Alto. And hearing them, learning from them about early intervention and then Dr. Cordova did a lot with cancer and PTSD. It just kind of blossomed this interest and as I developed more through my clinical career and was exposed to different types of populations and medical um, specialties where this seemed to be across the board. It just was something that um, grew over time, and I felt like there was, there was a lot of room to have more impact than they, that we've been having.
0: Mm, that's really interesting, Sasha. What do you think is really unique about medical trauma?
2: I think part of what is unique about it is that if we think about an acute onset of a, a trauma, so like um, you know, a car accident, for example, even though somebody has the re-experiencing and the memories and thoughts about what happened, the, the event has ended. So there, you know, you're the, once the car accident has stopped, you're not actually still experiencing that event anymore. Something that can be different about medical trauma and especially the experience of a life threatening, um, illness is that there is this, uh, as Dr. Don Edmondson calls it, this enduring somatic threat, where if you have a a acute cardiac event, you can't ever get away from your heart. You know, you still have those sensations. Mm -hmm. There's this enduring threat that is experienced as a part of medical trauma that I think makes it unique in how we conceptualize it and how we we treat it compared to a more um, acute trauma, like a car accident, for example.
1: That's actually a really great segue into we were hoping to ask you a bit about what um, early intervention would look like following medical trauma. Um, you know, you're pointing out that this is something that uh, stems from experiences that don't end with discrete events. Kind of what does early intervention look like then
2: in that kind of context? I think the there's a lot of layers, you know, thinking about our traditional prevention models where we kind of have a public health approach, and then we're looking at people who are maybe at increased risk but aren't experiencing symptoms yet, Uh, and then the people who are maybe having some symptoms that we're trying to prevent, you know, the duration or severity of symptoms. The first thing that always comes to mind, and I think this has been done a lot more in the pediatric space, um, Nancy Kasim-Adams' work uh, really focuses on trauma-informed care and creating medical systems or healthcare systems that are really integrated in terms of their understanding of the potential psychological impact for children and their parents. We haven't done that as much in the adult world, and so I would love to see that happen more. And so I think that there is, it's not the end, but I think there's a lot of power in providing more education and, expect, and creating expectations for people who've experienced these types of events. Mm-hmm. Be- because we know that, you know, within er- the early intervention world, like in the clinic that I worked in, we considered two years after a trauma to be early intervention. That says something about our system, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think the first step of how do we create where we we know that the trauma is happening in this particular space. So we have the advantage to put things in place in that environment to potentially reduce, you know, if not the exposure, at least the impact. And so I think that is, um, that's I think something that is tangible that we can do for early intervention, along with all the other things we know about early intervention that we would use for other types of uh, traumas.
1: Right. And so what would that kind of like look like, I guess, putting things into the environment? So like at the, you know, provider level or the system level, um, can you speak a little bit more about that?
2: Yeah. Um, my, my own bias as an integrated health person i'm like put more psychologists in systems um you know like in my in, in my dream every team would have you know like a psychologist on board or a mental health professional um, to really be a part of the integrated team and to help other professionals on the team learn the language um, and to be able to know what it looks, not necessarily to be able to treat it, but to know how to refer, to know how to talk about it, to know how to do warm handoffs um, to mental health. I think also thinking about how we construct systems and how we, we think about our interactions with patients of how we conceptualize a quote-unquote difficult patient. Mm-hmm. How, do we, how do we think about um, consent to treat? How do we really embody True informed consent to treat in these kinds of situations. Where we can, obviously, in emergency situations, we don't always have that luxury. But in the place, in the places that we can, how do we, how do we minimize um, these kind of risks in the, in the everyday work that we do?
0: What would you want a wider audience to know about medical trauma? So, if we're thinking, for example, about medical providers, our ISTSS members, or even. Individuals themselves if they have experienced medical trauma or might
2: um, I think I think at a system level or just kind of like a broader space, recognizing that you know hospital systems especially have been moving more towards traditionally it's it's been there's been a strong focus on mortality morbidity um, you know readmissions and there's been there's been some shift. To thinking about quality of life, um, you know, other outcomes outside of the hospital. And all of those things that are driving that of like return to work, disability status, pain, all of the things that our systems are trying to understand how to tackle are have been found to be really related to experiences of uh, or patients' experience of PTSD driving some of those things. So for example, within the traumatic injury space, we know that PTSD symptoms are directly related to disability 12 months from injury. And so if a system is trying to target disability status or return to work, but is not focusing on these mental health characteristics then we're kind of, you know, we're plugging a hole on a bucket where, you know, there's a waterfall coming out the other side. Mm-hmm,
0: right.
2: um, and so I think looking more holistically at our systems and and what our, what the things are that we need to address and solve. And so that would be the that would be the system level. Um, I think at the provider level, one thing that it seems small, but I think one thing that we forget. Is you know one thing that I'm always driving home is expectation management. Expectation management. How do we how do we set people up when they're in the hospital or in a setting where they've maybe been exposed to something that could lead to uh, a trauma response or you know PTSD or acute stress or whatever it is? How do we provide the information and the knowledge not only of what to expect of hey you went through this thing that was really difficult. You may not experience this, but if you do, here are some things you can expect. And if these things do come up, here's when to be worried and here's how to get help. Mm -hmm. Because what happens is, and and also thinking about just how people understand their physical recovery, because what often happens is, you know, I've seen so many people who, you know, I see them in rehab and they've uh, had a recent amputation and they they expect that they're going to have their... um, Prosthesis next week, you know, before they leave the hospital, when in reality, that can be a year or more process, depending on the person's comorbidities and uh, their health status, lots of different factors. And that's obviously devastating for somebody who thinks that they're going to have a new limb at the end of the week. And so doctors, I think they do say those things to patients, but they don't always recognize that they can't hear me. <laughs> they're thinking about what they're going to do when they get home. Did someone take care of the bills how am I going to get into my bed? You know, that I, so there's, there's so much going on that repeating that information over and over again, in a compassionate way, making sure it's written down, just really focusing on how we manage expectations can set people up for later success, both in terms of terms of their physical recovery and their psychological recovery. And then I think at the patient level, recognizing that to have some feelings of fear anger sadness to have nightmares to have these things like doesn't make you crazy it doesn't you know mean that you're broken that you're never going to get better and that people have most people have a traumatic reaction or response or some sort of experience after an event like this but if you can kind of integrate the good skills that we know social support um, relaxation positive activities All of these things that we think about, like with psychological first aid or skills for psychological recovery, integrating those helps with our natural recovery. And so then it's not waiting two years or more when you're really suffering to get help. And so kind of getting some good skills on board early on can help with that natural recovery um, rather than, you know, the avoidance that we know kind of grows traumatic stress symptoms.
0: Mm -hmm. I love that idea of both doing what feels um supportive in the moment and also thinking about this broader kind of trauma informed perspective from providers and from the system and that that rep, that kind repetition re- repetition really settled for me when you were talking about that
1: mm-hmm. and assessment too right having the system constantly be checking in and looking for right as opposed to waiting for people to kind of come in down the line um, like you're saying a lot of times many years after the fact um, seems like such an important point, too. Um, Absolutely. So I think um, we would be remiss- a little bit remiss if we didn't talk about COVID some, given that I think everything that you're talking about um, has a new significance right now. Um, so medical trauma, we know, affects many, many people, irrespective of the pandemic, and um, is getting a lot of needed attention right now, um, given this is something that's affecting the whole globe, right? So um, would you just be able to speak a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think that, um, so the the Oxford Center for Anxiety Disorders and Trauma has created a, they created a post-intensive care unit PTSD therapist guide which I think is a wonderful resource and they've really tailored it to the experience of COVID. Um, So I can't, you know, that work isn't exactly my expertise, but what I do know of it is that when we think about um, one of the most, I think, research areas within medical trauma and thinking about PTSD as a result of medical traumas is in the ICU literature. And so this is something that I think is a little, has been a little bit more established anyway Um, So there's a lot of of literature in that area about the effects of an ICU admission um, and all that that entails physically and psychologically and rates of delirium in the ICU, which can be really distressing for people, Um, the deconditioning that comes with an ICU admission. So I think all the things that we already knew about the potential psychological detriment of an ICU admission combined with covid is a significant risk factor as we all know and have been reading for PTSD or other reactions. And I think part of the reason, some of the unique things that come with COVID I think is that, you know, I've really driven home this point of expectation management. We can't do that for people who have been admitted for COVID because we don't know, we we can't set an expectation. We don't know what this is gonna look like. We don't know the long-term impacts we don't even know, like, you know, we're kind of learning now as we get a little bit more, but we can't tell someone what their life is going to look like in five years, or what their, what the complications are going to be, and so I think there, those are those unique factors, and then thinking about institutional or government response to COVID, and the feelings that can come along with that, so I think there's just so many layers that are part of the COVID experience for people who have been admitted, even for those who haven't quarantine, isolation, et cetera, that uh, have really, it's a kind of a, a perfect storm of these different factors that could increase risk for PTSD, for sure.
1: Uh, and it seems like as you were talking earlier, I was just thinking, you know, some of the recommendations that someone with expertise in this area, like you might make, Um, Part of what's challenging about COVID maybe is that some of those are harder to use um, with procedures and policies that are in place um, attempting to promote infection control. And that might be another kind of challenge, I would imagine, to the uh, earlier provision of tools that you were talking about being so important, social support potentially. Um, Have you seen systems make adaptations or adjustments to what you would typically
2: recommend
1: to overcome some of
2: those barriers? I actually saw it. So I think one of the things that's been on my mind is, you know, even if somebody is able to come into your your room, like if you're admitted for COVID, you know, they're completely gowned. You can't see, you can maybe, you know, you see some part of their eyes, but even then it's behind a face shield. And so it's like those powerful ways of social connection, even if it's with the staff uh, are in some ways lost. And so I think one cool thing that I saw people doing was, um, I can't remember where it was, um, but they had badges where they had big photos of themselves of what they looked like outside their garb. And it was like, it wasn't like their badge photo where they're, you know, not smiling and they're like, I'm taking a badge photo. It was like Mm -hmm. actually a a nice, happy photo of themselves of what they looked like. And I thought that was just such a nice touch to kind of create some semblance of human connection to kind of humanize and personalize who was treating, treating you. And then I think I've seen lots of reports of healthcare workers going above and beyond contacting families, finding ways to get people connected by phone or video um, or giving more updates than maybe they usually would. So I think people recognize the importance of that support and presence and are trying to, to build it in the ways that they can. That's amazing.
1: Um, Another thing that, you know, is important to think about is what do we know about medical trauma in the context of diverse populations in international contexts? Um, you know, our ISTSS membership is worldwide, and I know a lot of people will be thinking about kind of how does this apply to, to me and the folks that I work with, uh, and how can I extend my reach into diverse populations and communities? What do you um, think people need to know about medical trauma in the context of diverse populations or groups.
2: Yeah, I think that's a really important question that I've been thinking a lot about and have been exposed to over the years but haven't always had the the language or the resources that have been coming available now to really conceptualize that and so I but one of the things that I think has been noticeable and present throughout my work is how medical trauma and systemic racism are interlaced. Uh, you know, when we think about risk factors for medical trauma, mm-hmm. thinking about those interpersonal experiences, the uh, abuses, discrimination that can be experienced by Black people and other people of color in the medical system, that is absolutely interlaced with the experience of medical trauma um, and perceived or real withholding of pain medicine, treatments, uh, f- inability to advocate for needs or not being heard by healthcare workers or other professionals in the system definitely are all contributing to the psychological distress of an already distressing experience. Um, We also know that there is just, you know, thinking about again, in the context of COVID of how COVID is disproportionately affecting black people in -hmm. the United States. Um, and how that is part of this too, and the ability to trust that a system is going to be able to take care of you. Um, you know, there's so many other instances of, you know, mortality, infant and, uh, mother mortality rates in hospitals for black women. Um, that's not explained by SES or education or these other things. And so we, we can't talk about medical trauma without thinking about those systemic, uh, Systemic racism and these other factors of discrimination and a and a system that 's really based on paternalism and there always hasn 't been a place for i think it 's changing some but systems that don 't really uh, haven 't been designed for patients to be able to advocate all of their needs
0: absolutely and I think the the intersecting experience of the different facets of people's lives is hugely impactful on how trauma impacts their lives and and the impact it has, especially when you're interacting within that, within a system that is, has an overlay of paternalism or an overlay of, um, at times, discrimination. So, Sasha, I'm curious, what would, if we're thinking about takeaways, that you'd want our audience to have from what we've talked about or things that we haven't touched on so far, what would you love for us to take away?
2: Yeah, I think, I mean, I can get on my soapbox and talk about this forever, but I will try to (laughs) limit myself to a few takeaways. Um, You know, I think the main one and probably the most uh, tangible one is integration of medical settings both outpatient clinics but you know like my work and the work that's close to my heart inpatient settings or critical care settings um you know i'd love i think uh, you know over you know as i interview uh people for internships and things like that i'm hearing more and more people having an interest in kind of this overlap which is really exciting to me i'd love to see um you know i had I kind of had to cobble my my educational experiences together of like getting my trauma experiences and getting my health psychology experiences which were really vital for success in an inpatient setting um and i remember when i was seeking out training i sometimes felt it sometimes felt hard to really find a place to fit and so i'd love to see both systems embracing integration of mental health but then as institutions and education systems us being able to, um, to really focus more directly on how these things overlap and kind of helping trainees and students get these mix of skills in a more structured way. Um, I think that the other thing that I would say is for those who, you know, this is, isn't just contained to the hospital. So that's where I see people, but these people are also being treated in outpatient settings. And so I think if you are uh, or community settings or whatever it is, I think if you're working in that space, you're still likely to be touched by this, this issue in some form. And so thinking about, you know, what, what skills can you integrate that maybe have more of a health psychology or focus on the body kind of lens that you could add to your work to kind of address these needs of this unique population um, and so things like, uh, you know, treatment for insomnia, pain management. Again, I'll drive home that expectation management, mm-hmm. and what that what that requires is knowing your resources and learning about what the person's condition is, what the treatment typically entails, and building a network within your community. you know, I have nurses that I text, I'm like, what is this thing? Like, tell me, explain this to me. I googled it, but what does that mean? And so having those people, if you're going to be treating this population, building that network and that knowledge um, will be, or at least knowing how to get people to access that knowledge will be really important. And I'll stop there.
1: Thank you so much, Sasha. Um, You mentioned resources a moment ago, and Uh, As we're, you know, moving towards wrapping up, I think it's important to uh, let folks know a little bit about everything that you've put together for ISTSS this month. Um, So do you just want to tell us a little bit about what you've made available through the uh, Friday Fast Facts series?
2: Sure. Yeah, I'd love to. So I have developed a couple different things. The first uh, set of materials that went out was a clinician fact sheet. So it kind of includes some of the things that we've been talking about today. What are the symptoms? What are some of the experiences to be thinking about as potentially distressing for someone who's gone through a medical trauma? Um, and also has lots of links to other resources, thinking about uh, treatment considerations. And then I also created a patient or public facing fact sheet that I tried to, this is, it's so hard because medical trauma is such an umbrella term for so many different types of experiences. So the sheets are very broad um, and they're designed that way so that they have some, some legs to go, to be given to people in different settings. Um, but kind of a brief overview for people that you can give to patients to kind of describe what medical trauma is, what it might look like, how it might show up and how they engage in healthcare moving forward. Um, and then I also have developed a research brief that really is it's was designed not as a comprehensive, you know, literature review, but more like if you're wanting a place to start to read about this or you do this work and you want a kind of a quick list that you can give a trainee or somebody you work with or a provider um, kind of having a research brief that's kind of more focused and an introduction to some of the literature to check out. Um, so those are the, the resources that we have.
1: Well, thank you so much, um, Dr. McBain, for everything that you have done um, uh, to bring your knowledge to our ISTSS membership. Today has been fabulous, um, and we are really excited to uh, be bringing this podcast to our membership. So I suppose this will close out our episode of Trauma Talks. Thank you to everyone for listening.
2: Thanks for having me.